Hey lovelies, before we get started, I just want to give you a peek at the pre-holiday calendar here at Impact Fashion. I'm holding on to the last licks of summer, but Rosh Hashanah is just about a month away. So, for the holidays, I have two new styles coming out, the slip dress and the gemstone print blossom dress. Pre-orders for both of these are now closed, and those are now in production. Limited inventory will be available for purchase starting on August 23rd, so even if you didn't pre-order, you'll still be able to get those styles. August 23rd is two weeks from today, and two weeks before Rosh Hashanah. If you've pre-ordered, then you're all set. Your dress will ship out as soon as it's in and you'll have it in time for the holidays. If you haven't pre-ordered and would still like either of these designs, I highly recommend you sign up for my email list. I always announce launches there first and due to fabric shortages, I am anticipating that some sizes will sell out quickly on these new designs. If you're not interested in the new designs, which is totally fine, then I recommend you start shopping now so you can do it completely stress-free. As we get closer to the holidays, things tend to get bought up, even old favorites that hadn't previously been low stock. Shopping early also gives you a chance to exchange sizes if you didn't pick out exactly the right one. This is especially true for international shoppers, by the way. It takes longer to get to you because you are farther from me. So head over to impactfashionnyc.com to check out my collection of stylish, modest pieces in sizes two through 24. US shipping is free and returns are free no matter where you live. If you have any questions, but about sizing or what would look good on you or colors or what's this fabric like, really any questions, you can get in touch using the contact page on the site or the chat bot that's there. Both go straight to my phone. Thank you for shopping this holiday season enjoy the show. From Impact Fashion, it's Be Impactful, a show about the women making a difference in their own corners of the world. And on today's show, I talk with the founder of one of the oldest decluttering companies in the U.S. about changing the relationship with our stuff. She shares the difference between organizing and decluttering, why she's not a minimalist, and why we tend to hold on to things. one thing I've noticed over quarantine, it's that I have a lot of stuff. Not necessarily bad stuff or too much stuff, just stuff. (laughs) And while some of it is certainly very important, some of it is objectively not. (laughs) Tracy McCubbin is a decluttering expert and author who came on the show to help us all make sense of our stuff. I was a very uh, joyous kid. Um, I did, I was pretty organized. I liked my room very clean. I had a bit of a chaotic upbringing. Parents got divorced. mishmash of that, just life in a small town in California, middle school. So for me, I think I always liked my room um, a little bit of a haven. I was a big reader. I like to disappear into books. So I always had a nice bed. And my grandmother and I every year would hand sew a quilt. So every year for start of school, I would get a new quilt for my bed. And I I liked rainbows. <laughs> Who doesn't like rainbows? I, I, not nice people. That's what I'm going to say. <laughs> Best answer ever. That's awesome. I'm not surprised that you were a, a very neat person growing up and, and a very neat person as a kid. Um, I, I just want to dive into what it is that you do. Can you tell everyone, you know, who you are, what it is that we do, and then we'll we'll tackle this topic head first. Great. 
Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Tracy McCubbin. I am the owner of a company called Declutterfly. We are one of the oldest and biggest decluttering companies in the United States. So um, while we are organizers, personal organizers, we really specialize in decluttering. We help people um, downsize after living in their homes for a long time. We help people clean out homes after someone has passed, after divorces. We do complicated moves. So we really, my team, I have eight people who work for me. We help, we specialize in helping people change their relationship to their stuff. So that's what's my day job. And then I'm also an author of a book called Making Space Clutter Free, the last book on decluttering you'll ever need. So I took my 16 years of work with clients and distilled it into a book to help people who can't have me come to their house and boss them around. I can boss them around through a book. <laughs> there you go. That's efficient. I like it. What is, what is the difference between organizing and decluttering? Oh, that's a fantastic question. So organizing is creating systems in your house, um, in your desk, like with like putting things away, storing them in an efficient manner so that you know, like, uh, you know, for example, I always, when Tom's toothpaste goes on sale, I always buy a couple extra tubes because it's a couple bucks off. And so I know where I store those. And when we run out, everyone in the house knows where to go and get it. So it's about creating systems that make your house more usable. Decluttering is about letting go of the stuff that you don't need, want, or use anymore. So the best way to be organized is to have less stuff. And the way to have less stuff is to declutter. So we specialize in getting people to let go of what they don't need. What are the things that, you know, I, I think that there are some people who hold on to stuff, like they just enjoy having stuff. My grandmother was one of those kinds of people that she just, she holds stuff. My dad is like that also. He just, he holds stuff for a very long time. And sometimes it drives my mom crazy because it, you know, piles up in the basement, but side note, what, what, are, <laughs> why do you think some people hold on to stuff so strongly? So that's uh, it's such a great question. So let me just start out by saying, I am not a minimalist. I do not preach minimalism. If minimalism works for you, Great. I want, my goal is that your home supports you, that your home is a place that you're happy in, that you're efficient in, you know, that you can get dressed in the morning without like, you know, throwing 8,000 clothes out. You can sleep in your bed without moving clothes off. You can eat at your dining room table without having to move piles of mail. So it's about, um, the amount of stuff you have, I'm not going to dictate what I think is right. It's, but what I do want you, I want your home and your stuff to work for you. And I think the tipping point for people is when they say, um, I don't, I feel like I no longer own my stuff, but my stuff owns me. Mm. So that's kind of where the baseline that we start at. And I think for, a I know for a lot of people, the holding on to stuff is emotional. So it's, you know, looking back to the past, this is who I used to be like clothes we don't fit into anymore. This is where I came from. This is where my family came from. Um, a lot of stuff from people who have passed away. All right. I want to remember the person. So I'm going to keep all this stuff around them. You know, one of in my book, I talk about these things called the seven emotional clutter blocks, and they are these stories that we tell ourselves about why we have to hang on to stuff. So for example, one of the clutter blocks is 
my fantasy stuff for my fantasy life. So these are the things that we buy thinking like, I'm gonna take up rock climbing. That's, I'm gonna be a rock climber. So you go to REI and you buy all the stuff for rock climbing and then you get home and you go, wait, I'm scared of heights. But I think I should be a rock climber. I'd be a better person if I was a rock climber. So you sort of create this fantasy life and then you shop and buy all the stuff for it. So there's a lot of emotional reasons um, for why we hang on to the stuff. Self-respect, you know, safety. In some ways it's often, I liken it to, you know, sometimes we eat too much or we drink too much or, you know, stuff makes us feel safe. So, um, and, you know, we have to take everyone's situations into consideration. My grandmother was an immigrant. My grandmother lived through the depression. The amount of rubber bands she kept, I, I, will, I will never own that amount of rubber bands in my life. But for her, her experiences got her there. So it was like, okay, grandma, Let's let go of the ones that are broken. How about we start there? <laughs> right. right. So I think it's really filtering in people's experiences. For sure. And, you know, like you said, your grandmother grew up in the Depression. My grandmother was a Holocaust survivor. There was this security in having so many things, you know, in having well, that and yeah, and I work with a lot of a lot of my clients that grandparents were Holocaust survivors. And um that that horrible, horrible event you know, filters down through the family today where there's this, you know, whole memory, I mean, whole generations, whole, whole veins of families were murdered. And so there's this hanging on to things because we have to remember the past because it was taken in such a horrible way. So, you know, that, like, for me, the respect of that, like, I absolutely understand every, your lives were taken away, just right. taken away. So it's a very different than somebody who's like, I, you know, I like to go to Marshall's and shop a lot. It's like, no, 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 this is, you know, so it's acknowledging that and also finding a way that, um, how do you respect that legacy, right? How right. do you create something in your home to respect that so that when, people come in, they know that that was part of your grandmother's experience and she can teach the rest of us to be better people because she survived it. So that's the, that's the thing that I'm always helping people is like, keep this and create it, you know, honor it so that you can teach people who came after. For sure. You mentioned these seven emotional clutter blocks and I love the name clutter blocks. It's a pretty <laughs> one. Um, what are some of the, what, what are some of the other categories that fall? You know, what, what are some of the other emotional sure. clutter blocks? Sure. So clutter block number one is my stuff keeps me stuck in the past. So this is hanging on to childhood soccer trophies, clothes we don't fit into, um, letters and pictures of exes. You know, it's it's the stuff that tells us. And look, I, I'm not saying get rid of all your mementos, but I'm saying if all your stuff tells you your best days were behind you, mm. then I want you to look forward. I want you, you know, your grandmother's a great example. You know, she went through this thing, this awful, awful thing, you know, does she need to keep every remembrance of it? Or can there be a few things, right? Like, when does it, when does it turn over? Um, clutter block number two is my stuff tells me who I am. So this is buying, you know, labels and everything fancy and tags have, you know, clothes have tags on it that your, your stuff is your identity. Um, and number three, full disclosure, this is my clutter block, uh, the stuff I'm avoiding. So this mm. is, um, I don't open my mail. I have piles of paperwork. 
uh, my email inbox. <laughs> I am this, you know, this is the not doing the business of being a grown up. So this is full, I take full, full responsibility. Um, we talked about my fantasy stuff for my fantasy life. Another really good one. And this one I saw so much during the pandemic was I'm not worth my good stuff. So this is having beautiful china that you never use, that you, you know, close it. You're like, I'm saving that for a special occasion. Oh, that someone gave me that gorgeous candle. I'm not going to light it. And for me, I'm like, today, you know, tomorrow's not a guarantee. Like use your nice, you are worth it. You are worth your nice stuff. Like even if it's just you with a piece of heated up cold pizza, like put it on a nice plate, like light a candle, you know, really celebrate yourself. And so that was one that I was really during the pandemic, like use the nice plates, use them, use them. Um, and then number six, is a really, it's a powerful one. It's trapped with other people's stuff. So this is a lot of things that people who have passed on, people who have moved out of your life. Um, this is also parents whose kids have moved on and left all their stuff in their garage. This one's really hard um, because, you know, we want to honor those who came before us, but when do we, you know, if I, I work with so many people who have storage units full of furniture of people who have passed away and they're like, well, I can't possibly get rid of it. Like, it's like but you're not using it. You're paying $300 a month to store it. Like, you, you know, so really um, working through the grieving process and understanding that their memory is not going to go away. And then the last one is clutter block number seven, the stuff I keep paying for. So this is, um, you know, buying things that we don't use, buying things uh, and realizing, like, I bought that treadmill. I'm never going to run on it. I have to put my big girl pants on, except I made a mistake and let it go. Like, sometimes we just make mistakes. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, accepting that that's just not something that's going to happen. I think that of all the ones that you said, the one that I relate the most to is the fantasy life one. I cannot tell you how many, like, sports bras I have bought thinking that, like, I am going to become a runner. It's not happening. I hate it no. every time I try. It's just, <laughs> I have bad knees. Like, this is not the thing for me. I'm a walker. And you don't need a sports bra for that. You just need shoes. Go and walk. Yeah. And by the way, P.S. Walking is so much better for you in the long run. They've done all these longevity studies of people over a hundred, and one of the things they have in common is that they're walkers. So you know that's it's like, and that's the thing that you we do this funny thing like we think we should be this thing, and it's going to make us a better person. It's like, no, I'm perfectly delightful on my walks like right, I do exactly. not need I'm to enjoying run. this right now why am I trying to change this why am I trying to make this miserable and just accumulating the stuff that goes around it why do you think it's important to identify our emotional clutter blocks like why does it matter if I have stuff I have stuff I why why do I need to to get to that root of it before I just get rid of the stuff I think that, oh, that's such a fantastic question. You know, I think that understanding why you've been hanging on is going to, A, make the letting go easier. And, and look, not everybody has these. This is for the people who are like, I'm stuck. Like, I have a room in my house I can't go in because it's so full of junk. I, I can't even have a guest come and stay. This is, where, this is where the stuff is getting in the way of you living your life. That's what I call clutter. Like, clutter is the stuff that gets in the way of the life you want to be living. So it's, 
uh, it's going, oh, right. I want to have my guest room empty because I want to have my grandkids come and stay, or I want to have my best friend come and her partner come for the weekend or, you know, whatever it is, but I can't. So it's identifying it. And then in identifying it, there's a bit of self-realization and like, oh, wow, I'm actually kind of lonely. Like I want to have people come. So let me spend my time decluttering so I can have friends come so I can reintroduce human connection back into my life. So I think it's, it's understanding yourself. And then it's also, um, it's going to keep the stuff from coming back in. Mm, yeah. I hear that, but yeah. Okay. You, you know, don't me. you, don't you, you know, I feel like self-discovery. It's always just like peeling the onion. And so oftentimes the clutter block, like sometimes people are like, Oh, actually I realized this applied to some relationships. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, we have our patterns. <laughs> We have our mm-hmm. patterns. Everyone has their tendencies and their things. And it manifests in a lot of different ways in our lives, including our relationship to just our stuff and just the things that, you know, that, that come around. Do you think that holding that stuff and, and just having it, do you think that that affects our mental health? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. First of all, the science of it, they, I mean, so many studies have been done, you know, uh, the more stuff you have, the more your cortisol shoots up especially in women. So cortisol is your fight or flight hormone. And, you know, it's the one that gives you the little belly fat around the middle and it makes you not sleep. So the more stuff you, the brain can only process so much. We really can only process so much. So the more stuff that you add, the more your stress increases. Um, Another thing is there's this very interesting concept called decision fatigue. Mm, I love this concept. I know. I love, yeah. well, I'm in e-commerce. So this is something that oh. I think about a lot. Okay. I'm g- dive into this. I love decision yeah. fatigue. Go for yeah. it. So every item in your house, especially every piece of clutter is a decision. Where do I put this? Do I need it? Should I have bought this? So the more decisions that you're adding onto your plate, the more tired you're going to make the decision part of your brain. So it, you know, it's why, you know, it's why when you wake up in the morning and you're rested and you're like, Today is going to be a grilled chicken, steamed broccoli kind of day. And then at 11 p.m., when you've worked for 14 hours, you're like, why am I eating a pastrami sandwich? So the clutter adds to your decision making. You have to make these decisions every day. So I'm trying to say, like, let's take those off. Let's, you know, I wear a uniform. I buy the same shirts in different colors and the same pants to wear to work because I don't want to think about it. I'm juggling eight employees. I'm showing up for my clients. I don't want to think about what I'm going to wear. I buy the same Nikes. That's it. That's where I wear to work. I don't need, you know, and it's, that is off my plate. I get dressed in the morning and I do not have to make that decision. And so clutter absolutely increases your decision fatigue. Yeah. Cause every piece of stuff is just another thing that you need to think about. Um, I know I mentioned e-commerce just for anyone who's interested. The concept of decision fatigue is also just that after we make a certain number of decisions, our brains are just like, I'm done, I'm finished. And so specifically when it comes to setting up online stores, um, to not, it's, um, it's recommended to not present too many options to your customers at once, because for the same reason, if they see too many options right away, then they just freeze up. And there have been all these fascinating studies actually in supermarkets with jelly samples, um, where if there's a company that wants to sell jelly and they have different flavors, if they have three flavors of jelly, they will get more people who engage with them and ultimately 
choose to buy that jelly than if they have, I think the number was 26. Because when there's 26 flavors of jelly, it's like, oh my God, I never even knew there could be that many flavors of jelly. What could really be different between them? I don't know what to do. Ah! And then you just walk right past <laughs> and you don't, like your brain can't handle that much. I, I, no, I'm the same way. I, three is my number. Like, oh, let's order in food. Do you want Thai, sushi, or pizza? And I'm like, Okay, and then my fiance will say like, or we could have Mexican. I'm like, no, no, exactly, done, ah, too much, too much for sure. Yeah, I never thought about clutter as decisions that we need to make. That's a very interesting yeah. way of approaching it. Yeah, and so it's why people um, flame out when they try and declutter themselves. They don't, they don't understand the work that they don't understand the emotional work that needs to go into it, and they don't understand what they're doing to their brain. So if you're going to take on decluttering, and in my book making space clutter-free. I have a work plan. I take you room through room, but you have to understand your capacity. Like, you know, I see people become weekend warriors. Like I'm going to do my whole house in a weekend. I'm like, you'll be calling me on Monday because that's not going to happen. You know, so understand that, especially if you've got, you know, a busy life that it's like, oh, I only have the capacity to make decisions for two hours. Like really understand and don't beat yourself. It's not that you're lazy. That's the thing. It's not that you're lazy. The decluttering and organizing process is hard, right? You're not used to doing it. It's a muscle. It's a different way of being. So don't, you're not lazy. Like you got, you're doing something different. So set yourself up for success. And what are some of the ways that I can do that? How can I set myself up for success when I'm, you know, I've decided start. that I'm going to tackle these issues and I'm going to declutter. How do I do Just that? You know, start properly? small. So start small. Don't think you're going to do your whole house. Don't think you're going to do your whole garage. Start small. Um, pick the least emotional place to start. So don't start with letters from your, you know, exes and photos of your family that has passed. Start with, you know, towels. Start with something unemotional so that you can get in the habit. You're like, oh, this is what it feels like to let go. Oh, this actually feels good, right? So what I want you to do is start small. Pick an area that's not emotional so you can do it, feel how good it feels after it's done, and then you build on that success. Also, you know, um, schedule in your decluttering. You're not going to just wake up and magically declutter. Like, okay, Saturday from 10 to 12, I'm going to declutter. Put it on your calendar. Make an appointment with yourself. Realize you might need support. So reach out to a friend. Hey, I'm going through some stuff. I'm, I'm going through my clothes. You know, maybe you want to come look at them. Like also have a place to take the stuff that you're going to declutter afterwards. So is it donatable? Can you have, you know, so it just doesn't live in a bag in your corner, but really the starting small, booking the time with yourself and not, um, not, starting with something really emotional are kind of the three big things that can like get you off on the right foot. Right. So when you say start small, should I start with like a closet or a room or go even smaller than that? Like a cabinet? I think it depends. I think you'll know, I think everybody kind of knows that their tolerance. If this is really hard for you. I would start with a drawer. If you're like, I do not like to do this. This is giving me so much. <sighs> I've got that, you know? And if you're like, yeah, no, I really feel good when I do this, start with a closet. So take your temperature and look at historically, you know, how have you been around this? Um, and, you know, so that could just mean a shelf in a closet or a whole closet. Right. I hear that. I think that also there's, like you said, people kind of, I don't know, you, you know where you stand on these kinds of things and it becomes something, I think that also it's just once you start doing it, then you get better at it. And, and you also, you, you develop the muscle. 
Exactly. And what people have to understand is there's a lot of people, a lot of people who are not naturally inclined to, they don't have, they have a different kind of spatial relationship. So sometimes they can't, you know, a lot of people I work with can't see, like I can look at an amount of stuff and go, oh, all this stuff is not going to fit in that closet. And they're like, what do you mean? Like, there are some just ways that your brain processes information. And what, what I keep wanting to say to people is, you know, there's this languaging right now about, you know, being organized, everything in pretty bins, and it's all over Pinterest, and it's all over Instagram. And like, somehow, if you're not that, you're a bad person. And I'm like, okay, let's just stop with that. Like, let's just stop with that. This is about you creating a home that supports you, not about making you feel bad. And a lot of people who are cluttered, you know, have heard it their whole lives. Oh, you're messy. You're a pack rat. You know, there's a lot of languaging. And so what I'm trying to do is make this not be about, oh, you've done a bad thing. You know, it's like you want to change your life to, to be more successful, to be happier. So let's not, you know, let's not look back at how you were, but let's look at how you want to be going forward. Right. I love that. That's a, that's a, definitely a much gentler approach, I think, than, you know, just, I, I don't know, than just trying to tackle piles of stuff. I'm curious how your work has changed over the past year with the pandemic. Have you seen people more interested, less interested? What are, are, are have the jobs been different? Uh, a lot of people have been moving. A lot of people have been changing their living situation. So, um, kids have been, grown kids have been moving back in. I've seen now move parents moving in, you know, older parents moving in with families. I've seen family homes become multi-generational, which has been really interesting. Um, man, all those parents out there who zoomed your kids in school, my hat is off to you. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I have been in houses that are longtime clients where I'm like, oh, you just, you just gave up. And they're like, yes, mm -hmm. you know what? Everyone got fed and they went to school. That's about all we did. And I'm like, great. You know, um, I do, people have been shopping like crazy mm. during the pandemic, shopping, 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 shopping. So I have seen an accumulation of stuff. Um, and then the flip side to it, a lot of people have been realizing like, Oh, if I had all this stuff and I was stuck in my house and I didn't use it then, then um, I don't think I'm ever going to use it. So there's been that shift, which has been really nice. Right. Yeah. Kind of. I think that, that because we've been spending so much more time at home, you know, even now when things are still opening up, there's still, I don't know, like I'm not really doing the partying thing just yet. And even, even with that, it's like, you still have a realization that if you haven't used it over this past year, you're probably not gonna. It's just yeah. not going to happen. Especially in your kitchen. If you didn't cook with every pot and pan and utensil in your kitchen, you're never going to. I mean, at one point at like the height of lockdown, my fiance was washing, like he was going to start washing the dishes. And he just was in me. He goes, can I just throw them all away? Like, do I, I just, I don't want to do another dish. And I was like, I, I know, I, I just, I can't, I can't cook another meal. I can't sit at this table one more night. So I think I, people really realize like, oh, wow, if I'm not, you know, if I'm not. And then what I am seeing, I just, um, I know you're based in New York and I'm out in LA, but I was in New York two weeks ago and it was really great to see everybody out and like in outfits again like people were like I was like walking through the West Village and I was like oh man New York like you're bringing it like people were 
out. I've noticed that also people getting dressed. I'm here for it. Yeah. Which is really fun, which is really fun. So I'm hoping that we'll sort of have this roaring twenties and people wear their nice stuff and celebrate. And people are so, you know, just, they want that human connection. We miss that. We really miss that. Right. I'm curious. I'm curious what you have to say to someone like me to, in full disclosure. I'm a messy creative person. I have a studio mm-hmm. space that if I never had to bring clients into it would never get clean. And honestly, <laughs> I would be perfectly fine with that. It's got, you know, I've got my pattern making paper and my muslin and, you know, there's the part where like the inventory is, is really neat and organized because it has to be, but like the part where I'm creating is messy and I kind of like it that way. And it, and it just works for me. And that's the way that my space and brain functions. So like, is decluttering for everyone? Should I care? Nope, nope. If you told me, if you called me and said, I've just, you know what? I I just, uh, I can't, I have so many like scraps of fabric. I'm not, I don't want to go into my studio anymore. I find myself not going there. Like, I don't want to create. I'm not, I haven't cut any patterns lately. I haven't sewn anything. Like, I don't know why I'm not going there. Then we'd be having a different conversation. But if you're like, I get in there and I'm jazzed and I see a scrap and it reminds me of something else mazel like I don't that's what I really want to stress to people is like you don't have to be hyper organized that doesn't necessarily work for you um as the universe likes to play the cosmic jokes I found my fiance later in life we're middle-aged people getting married and um he's so messy he's so messy he's very clean but he's so messy you know and he's an editor and he's super talented and I was like all right, this works for him. This, you know, now there are some ways where he's running around looking for his keys. He's like, I can't find my keys. I can't find my keys. And I'm like, well, if you put your keys in the same place every day, you wouldn't be doing this. That's where it doesn't work for him, right? That's 15 minutes a lot thick. But his desk where he creates, uh, that's all you. That it works for him, you know? So I think it's, you have to really pay attention to, is your space working for you? That's where it really comes where, and if it's working for you and you're happy in it and you're creating, great. You don't need to declutter. You don't need to declutter at all. But if it starts to not work, if you can't find things, if you find yourself stressed getting in there, then, you know, maybe, maybe it's time to do a little tune up. What are some of the signs that it's not working? Like what should, what should people be paying attention to, to say, this might be something I need to address? Um, so if you, if somebody's coming up, so if you find yourself not inviting people over into your spaces, right? Um, if you knew somebody was coming over and it, it should take you about 20 minutes to kind of put stuff away and get it where you like it, you know, that's a good, if it takes you a couple hours to clean it up to the place you like it. Um, if you're losing a lot of things, mm. you know, if you can't find things, if you're buying the same things over and over again, that's a big one. Like, oh, I have three of these. I bought it again because I forgot that I had it. Um, if you find yourself not going into the space, like you just don't even want to go there. Those are some really good indicators that um, that uh, it's not working. Right. That, that's something here might need to be tuned up, I guess. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So at what point I mean, listen, I've gone on plenty of organizational or decluttering, I guess you could say binges in my own home. Mm -hmm. I've never done so with a professional. And I will admit that to a certain extent, I kind of like look at personal organizers as people who like, I guess, do work that other people don't want to do, or maybe are not motivated enough to do. Like at what point does it, does something become 
like at what point should a professional be involved or is it just a matter of convenience of you know this is not a job i want to do so i can outsource it i think that i think it's i think going to a professional when you can't like you know like oh my golly you know i lost both my parents within a year and i have to clean out their whole house and i'm an only child and there's no way i can do this alone so there's the physical aspect can you physically do the amount of work that's when a professional is great when you don't have the time when you're like i, I can't you know I, I a lot of people when they're you know when we clean out a house after someone's passed they're like I've got a full-time job. My siblings all work. Like we literally can't go and do the work. So it's, do you have the time? You know, do you have the physical ability? And also, you know, do you want to do it? Like some people are like, I want to do it. You know, I, I just don't want to do it. You, you know, for me, it's like, I, I don't want to clean my house. I don't like to clean my house and I don't like to garden. I'm not a gardener. I don't care about it. I like my garden to look pretty but I don't want to go out there and trim trees and do, I don't like that. That's not where I want to spend my time. So I employ someone who's very good at it. You know, I have the, I have, I'm a, at a place in my life where I can do that and it's fantastic. So I think that, you know, understanding how you want to spend your time is a big part of it. Right. And it's also kind of about decluttering your schedule in a lot of ways, you know, freeing mm -hmm. yourself up to do yeah, the things well, that you want to actually be doing. Exactly. The key to happiness is time management. Right. Hmm. <laughs> and, and realizing that there's only so many hours in the day and you're not going to be able to get it all done. I was texting with some, a client yesterday about like, I need to find an eighth day in the week. And she's like, Oh, let me know when you find that. Cause I could use that over here. Yeah. You know? And so, you know, so I don't need an eighth day. I need like an extra, I need like an extra three hours a day, which I guess adds up oh, to about a full extra day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Fair enough. Yep. So, you know, it may be just something that you want to outsource because you want to outsource or it may be something that you need support in you know it's um you may need to get through some stuff and you're like i just i'm just not good at this i need support right so i want to talk about hoarding for a second because we've all seen sure. like those terrible shows where it's i mean it's so sad my someone actually who lives um near my sister-in-law actually was a, a bona fide hoarder and um when that woman did I think she moved or passed away. I'm not totally sure. Um, I mean, the amount of dumpsters that were outside the house and I mean, the just stuff, like literally just piles of stuff. And I don't want to call it garbage, even though it certainly looked like it, because I'm sure that somewhere deep in her brain, it had very intense meaning to it. I'm curious how often you encounter that kind of stuff. And what are the ways that we can if, you know, maybe if we spot a loved one or someone that we care about kind of inching towards that past, what are path, what are the ways to, you know, pull, pull it back a little bit? So that's a great, uh, so I'm actually the child of a hoarder. My dad is a, uh, a uh, an extreme hoarder. They kind of rate hoarding on a scale from one to 10. Um, and he's up near the top. So I've grown up with it my whole life. Um, I don't work with a lot of hoarders. There, it's it. People have to understand that it's a very real mental. Um, you know, somebody's not choosing it. They're not choosing to live this way. It's like alcohol. I think it's an addiction. I think they're addicted to stuff. There's some different debates about it, but it is. You know, it, it is can often be a symptom of OCD. Sometimes it can present itself that way. It can be a huge anxiety in the same way agoraphobia is. So the first thing is if you feel like someone you love or yourself. Um, is dealing with it to understand that it is a mental issue um, and that they need help, uh, therapy. What 
really works is cognitive behavior therapy, CBT, changing how you view things is great. There's an amazing book out there. So if anybody's worried about this called Buried in Treasures by Dr. David Tolan, it's a fantastic, it's a very easy read, and it is great if you're worried about yourself or someone you love. That's the first place I would start. He's sort of the first person that, uh, psychiatrist that, I think he's a psychologist actually, uh, that recognized hoarding as its own disorder as opposed to lumping it in. So, you know, just understand that people are not choosing this. This isn't just a matter of like, you just clean it up and throw it away, that it's a very, very serious mental issue and they need love and support. Yeah. And that's, I think that applies to a lot of things in life actually. So just kind of mm-hmm, recognize mm-hmm. I'm a way. big I'm a big fan of therapy. I'm a big yeah. fan. <laughs> yeah, true. There's, there is no shame. You'd go to it. You'd go to a doctor for a broken leg. You can go to a doctor for a broken heart. It's exactly. literally the exact same thing. The, uh, okay. So p- putting that aside for a second, although I am kind of curious what the hoarding scale is like, what's a one, what's like a minor hoarder? You know, do you, uh, you know, do you keep one of too many things? Like, do you sort of every time, you know, this is a great example. Every time you go somewhere and there's free literature, do you pick that paper up? So do you pick mm. calendars up from the light that, you know, can't, that kind of stuff. And then 10 is like animal hoarders or food hoarders, you know, or like people. the reality shows and that, like, we, mm-hmm. we all know what 10 light note looks like. Yeah. It's, we all know yeah. it 10. Yeah. And you know, you can start to like, you know, and also the thing about hoarding disorder is that it really gets kicked off. Um, it can escalate when emotional blows happen. So you get a divorce, somebody passes away that can kick you up and off. Yeah, that I totally hear that. So assuming that we're not dealing with a hoarding situation and that it's just, you know, the regular stuff that we all accumulate through all our lives. Um, let's say someone's listening to this and they're really excited to get decluttering and get organizing and they're they're feeling great about it. Where, what what what's the first room that you would tackle? What's the first way that you would, you know, get, you know, kind of get the ball rolling in someone's house. So, yep. So two things. One, I would have somebody take a little bit of time. You can either meditate on it or journal it or write it out, you know, create the vision you want for your home. Like, do I want a home that I can have parties in? Or do I want a home that when I come in the end of the day, it feels restful for me. So really have a vision of what you're working for. And then just go about your day, couple days, and pay attention to where the clutter is impacting you the most. So is it your closet and you just hate getting dressed? Is it your kitchen counters and you don't like cooking? Pay attention to where your your daily life is impacted and start there. I love that. Like hitting the hotspots, the, the, the spaces where it's really making the biggest impact. Exactly. Hitting the spot, hot spots. That's a great way to put it. Like, oh, wow, actually this, my front hall closet where I need to find my shoes and get my bag before I, this is like, I open it and umbrellas fall out and I can't, this really impacts my daily life. So when you start with that, and then you can work backwards to the, you know, stuff, stuffed way back. (laughs) Right. Let's deal with the emotional baggage last, everybody. Let's not, let's not start there. That's make it easier. If this, if you're just starting this journey, let's not start there. Right. I love that. That's, I like that. Nice and, and simple and easy to implement this. I can't believe the time totally flew by. This has been a fascinating conversation and I'm so glad that you took the time to have it with me. If somebody wants to learn more about you, Tracy, where can they go? Oh, great. They can find me at my website, tracymccubbin.com, M-C-C-U-B-B-I-N. 
Um, my book is Making Space Clutter-Free, the last book on decluttering you'll ever need, available on all platforms. And then I do have a private Facebook group called Conquer Your Clutter with Tracy McCubbin. We, I go live every Wednesday. We tackle a topic. It's an amazing group of supportive, loving, um, positive people who are really accepting, just really trying to make a difference in their life. And so we People post pictures, they talk about their journeys and, you know, just really a lovely, a lovely group of humans. So if anybody needs a little push and needs a little community, come join us over there. That's fantastic. And I'm going to link all of that in the show notes so that if anybody wants to uh, reach out to any of, uh, to you in any of those ways, they definitely can. The last thing that I want to ask you, Tracy, is what I ask everyone who comes on the show. And that is to you, Tracy McCubbin, what does it mean to make an impact? That someone, when, that when you meet someone and you're and you part from them that you change their life for the better in a little way so you gave them a compliment you made them laugh you left them with a gift you changed their thinking into a more positive way that when you leave your meeting from them their life is just a little bit better i love that thank you so much for coming on today tracy i really appreciate it thank you for having me Thanks for listening. If you'd like to learn more about Tracy, her links are in the show notes. The Be Impactful podcast is a project of impact fashion, the clothing line I created because I believe that we are all deserving of the beautiful things life has to offer. See my designs that are available in sizes 2 through 24 by going to impactfashionnyc.com. Access all of that by swiping up on the cover art. There are currently 11 people listed by Ora Agunot as a recalcitrant party. View their names, photos, locations, and details of their cases by visiting getora.org slash recalcitrant parties. The episode art was designed by Michelle Moses, original music composed by Nissan Fetman. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Rifki Itzkowitz. Catch me on Instagram and Facebook at impact.fashion.myc. As always, here's to making an impact together.